This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Franchise Tag NFL Podcast. I'm your host, Eric. We're joined alongside Chris today. We're going to talk some NFC South, see what's going on in that division, and see what the outlook is going into the 2019 NFL season. Chris, how you doing today, man? I'm doing uh, really good. How are you guys doing? I'm doing pretty good. I'm getting through these previews, and I'm excited for this preview in general because you are a fan of the Falcons in this division. Yes, I am. So you should know plenty about them and see what the whole division is like overall because in this division, it's going to be pretty tough. Uh, it's going to be pretty head-to-head, especially with you know the the Bucks and the Panthers, who usually are the third and fourth place teams, especially with the rise of the Saints and the Falcons doing well each and every year. Um, but the thing is, with the Bucks, they have a brand new head coach. The Panthers, they're trying to still build up to a pretty solid season after losing that Super Bowl a couple years back. Um, what do you think of this division overall? Before we jump into these teams, I think this division each year it sucks being a fan because you never know what's going to happen each year. I feel like it's always tight. Yeah, definitely always. It's always a tight division. I feel like from here on out, it's going to stay that way. I don't think it's going to be changing. Like, usually a division has that one team that's like you're going to chalk it up chalk it up as a win for an in-division game. Mm-hmm. Or, but, like, it used to be the Browns, for example, in the in the, uh, the AFC, where they were, yeah, yeah. they were always the team that loses. They're always the ones in last. I feel like the Bucks were that team last year and the year before that. But Bruce Arians, I feel like, is going to change the whole outlook of that team. It's a prove-it year for... Jameis Winston, it's a contract year. He's looking for a massive contract extension with that team. I think I think they're going to come in uh, pretty strong, and I don't think they should be overlooked by anyone in this division or anyone in the NFL, for that matter. No, not at all. And, I mean, within the last couple of years, too, I know the NFC South, for example, they've played some tough competition. So I don't really know the strength of schedule this year based on all the teams in there. But I know in the last couple of years they've played tough competition, so that could also be a part of why – the uh, Panthers and Bucks, for example, haven't been performing as great as what people expected. That is very true. I mean, I mean, the Panthers last year they started off pretty hot. I think they went five and zero, and then just went on to lose every game yes, after that, did. or something like that. Um, yeah, they did. They hit a bit of a rough patch. They're dealing with uh, Cam Newton's injuries, especially in his shoulder. Um, now he's dealing with a foot injury. Um, they're, they're, apparently, Ron Rivera, a report came out yesterday that said he's going to be ready by Week One, regardless. So. I yeah. don't know what's going on behind closed doors for the Panthers, but if Cam Newton is healthy, I feel like the sky's the limit for them. I feel like if you give him even a slightly better receiving core that he had that year he went to the Super Bowl, which he has now with DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel and guys he could work with um, as deep threats and he could use his legs, um, I feel like he should have a way better season than he had that year, if you ask me. So. Yeah, and I mean, the only thing that kind of is, is falling apart for them based on comparing from that year to this year, is Greg Olson started to deteriorate. He's getting older. He's not really playing too well. He's been getting injured, too. So I feel like that's the only position. Because running back, they're 10 times better than they were when they went to the Super Bowl. I feel as though right now, Cam Newton's starting to realize, hey, Greg Olson isn't my security blanket anymore. I mean, if he stays healthy, he could well he could well be in towards the middle of the season rather than the beginning because – He's, he's dealt with a foot injury as well, Greg Olson. He's broken his foot. He's re-aggravated it, so it's been pretty tough on him. I'm surprised he's still you know, trying to move forward and have another season of play because he can retire whenever he wants at this point. He's been in the league for a very, very long time. He was considered one of the, yeah. better, he was considered one of the better tight ends in the league um, that year 
I think they went what did, where did they they went sixteen and zero right heading into the playoffs. If I'm not mistaken. No, they uh, they went fifteen and one. They yeah, fifteen and one. My mistake. My mistake. I think only team that went undefeated was the Patriots that year a while ago. But yeah, they went fifteen yeah. and one. So they only lost that one game. At, at that point in his career, he was just, he was considered a really great tight end, one of the better tight ends in the league. And now yeah. now everyone's starting to kind of forget who Greg Olson really is. So if he stays healthy, do you think? he's going to be a reliable target for Cam Newton again, or do you think he's kind of being phased out of the offense a little bit? I think he he could play a very similar role to what Jason Witten plays in uh, in Dallas, where you know he's not going to go out there and make those big plays anymore, but when you need him, you can rely on him and he'll do it for you. Yeah, most definitely. Um, so let's start from the bottom up uh, or the top down, whatever you want to call it, and we'll start with the first team on the docket, which is the Atlanta Falcons, which you know a lot about, I know a lot about, so we'll really dive deep into how their season is going to be portrayed this year. First thing that comes to mind, I don't know if it does for you, is that they're going to spend most of their games, I think 12 or 13 games, if I'm not mistaken, that's a, that's a big number, that they'll be playing inside a dome. So do you think it's kind of put up or shut up time for the Atlanta Falcons, especially with Dan Quinn on the hot seat, and, and Matt Ryan should be able to perform at the Super Bowl level he was at not too long ago. Again, he was an MVP. Um, he came up short to win that Super Bowl, but... Are, are we seeing a de- more deteriorated type quarterback in Matt Ryan? Or do you think this is the year he'll put it back together? It just took him a little while to build back up to the point where he's at. Well, I mean, from his Super Bowl year when he made it, he was obviously the MVP. He put up some great numbers. Following that year, they had a new offensive coordinator because Shanahan went to San Francisco. So they brought in Steve Sarkeesian, who uh, they weren't clicking as well. His season wasn't too great the year after that. And then, you know, you go to last year and – Matt Ryan seemed to be more comfortable. The team overall had a lot of injuries and wasn't really performing as well. But he, as an individual, put up, almost mirrored his MVP numbers. So in my eyes, he can definitely keep performing at, a, at that high quality that he's been doing. Um, and then he has these receiving threats that are just like, they could be, I think they're, they're one of the best receiving cores in the league, if not the best. You know, There's a lot of other names being thrown up for uh, who could be the best receiving core, but we'll find out by the end of the year. But I think with his weapons that he has, it's kind of like, how do you not perform well? Yeah, he definitely has everything at his disposal right now. And, I mean, he's had that for a very long time. I mean, take it with a grain of salt, he lost Devontae Freeman last year. But you have that same receiving core that you've had since the beginning. You add Calvin Ridley. He's a new target. Maybe that'll help him this year since they're getting used to each other. But back to the mm-hmm. co- patch of the coaching thing for a second, and we'll jump into their offense right afterwards. Again, like I said, Dan Quinn's on the hot seat. Everyone should know that by now. He knows that. He needs to perform well this year and have his team come out with a winning record and make it far in the playoffs because, listen, they got rid of their, their whole coaching staff and they brought in brand new, brand new people. They have Mike Malarkey as their tight ends coach, and I think I don't know all the other names. We've discussed it on this podcast uh, a while ago. But if they're cleaning house and they're not getting rid of anyone besides Dan Quinn, do you think this has to be the year they make it to the playoffs and make it far or he's out? Or do they keep him moving forward? Because he's not a bad coach, and you don't want to lose a coach if you've already settled him into a team that has Matt Ryan, who's in the later years of his career, same with Julio Jones, who's heading into a new contract. Do you think it's time's up for him after this regardless, or do you think they'll stick around whatever the record is? I think that he's brought something to the team that they haven't had before he came on. He really brought, like, you know, you see it when you, if you watch any videos on the Falcons, you hear any of them talk, you hear the whole phrase in brotherhood. That's like their go-to thing. They're all, they all fight as a team and they're going to work for each other. It's not like, oh, I'm a receiver and, you know, you're a linebacker and we don't talk to each other. We barely know each other. 
the team really in the locker room they're really close together they they're all like friends or brotherhood that's what they go by and you the owner Arthur Blank and our GM Thomas Dimitrov have all they they've all spoken how they really like the atmosphere that he's brought and how he he really brought what he had in Seattle because he was their defensive coordinator before he kind of started to build his own legion of boom within the Atlanta Falcons by drafting, you know, Deion Jones, Keanu Neal, DeMonte Casey, um, Vic Beasley, Brady Jarrett. He tried to get all these people. So I feel like he's really made a big impact on the team. And if we were to let him go, I feel like that dynamic is just not going to be there anymore. And I feel like the team is going to start spiraling downhill. So I feel like you need to keep him. Yeah, definitely. But uh, again, you like you mentioned the offensive coordinator before. Now you got Dirk Cutter as your offensive coordinator. Um, he wasn't working out as a head coach, um, I think, for the Bucks. And yeah, it, it's I, when he was around, I feel like he was never a good fit for the Bucks. Do you think he's a better fit as you know an offensive coordinator for a team that has success? I mean, as a head coach, it's a pretty tough job. But now you're taking a step back, less responsibility, but same the, the same amount of responsibility to have your team perform. Do you think that was a good hiring, or was it a little questionable for you? Um, I, th- I think it was. I think it was what was needed because Dirk Cutter has worked with Julio and Matt Ryan in the past because he worked with them, I believe, from like 2011 to 2014, somewhere in that time frame. He was the offensive coordinator for them, and then he left when he got his job at, with Tampa. So uh, I, I think that he just didn't really have the what he needed, like the pieces to build that really good offense because. When you look back, the Bucks did have some games where they would score a lot of points. They had a lot of offensive efficiency. Sometimes their defense would just be lacking. And Jameis Winston is in no means at the same level, I feel like, as Matt Ryan. Not to say that Jameis Winston isn't a good quarterback. I'm just saying they're, they're at different levels, I feel like, especially in their career and skill level. And with the receiving core and the running game that we have, I feel like he's kind of put into a spot to where it's like, you know, you have all the pieces, now just don't mess up he, he has it's so much easier now than he would have when he was at the Bucks. yeah I feel you on that so I mean I hope moving forward they keep Dan Quinn I hope I hope they hang on to him as much as possible he seems like a head coach that could stick around for a while I feel like getting rid of him would break that dynamic like you mentioned before but jumping into the offense like you mentioned before there's a lot of pieces here that are at their disposal that they can put to good use so there's no excuses here you have a running back who's under contract your quarterback's under contract for a while you have a couple of these players that could be seeing a contract in the foreseeable future, such as Julio Jones. Calvin Ridley's on a rookie deal. You don't have to pay that guy yet. You don't. I mean, Mohamed Sanu's on a decent team-friendly contract, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's not getting paid too much. Yeah, no, nothing crazy, right? But listen, Matt Ryan, Matty Ice, he's an MVP. Um, he could throw the ball out. He could throw the ball around. He could spread it around. I feel like after. Uh, Shanahan left it kind of switched up a little bit but that's because dealing with the new offensive coordinator is kind of like you've worked with someone for so long and you've seen all the su- success you've had under that system and bringing in a new guy is definitely tough on him and now he's heading into another season under Dirk Cutter and he has to get adjusted to his uh, to, to his offensive coordinator again um, do you think this will affect him going into this year or does it benefit him because Matt Ryan's been in the league for so long uh, I mean, if, if you go back and look, I don't have the exact number off the top of my head, but a lot in that line has this is this is he's used to this. He's used to having new offensive coordinators throughout his, his time. I think he's had in his career, I think he's had like four or five different offensive coordinators throughout his whole. I don't know how long he's been in the league. I think since like two thousand, 
2008 or something around there, 2010, somewhere in that time frame. So he's been in the league for around 10, 11 years, and he's had about five different offensive coordinators. That's a lot of change. It's not like, you know, where you see Aaron Rodgers with Mike McCarthy and you have um, Brady with Josh McDaniels and then you have Belichick. Like, there's not – he's never had that where he kind of got into a system and kind of worked with it and perfected that system. He seems to kind of be flexible and he has his his strengths, but he also is very versatile and he can morph into what the offense needs. Gotcha. And – I have a lot of confidence in Matt Ryan. A lot of people don't see him as such a high tier quarterback as he was when he won that when that won that MVP. But here's the thing: being on, being in a dome for around 12, 13 games, you ha- kind of have to perform at that point. Dealing with the weather isn't a factor. Being in a dome definitely is a big help. If your NFL team is in a dome, there's no excuse as to why you can't perform at a high level. Um, do you think being in a dome will benefit this whole team for the remainder of the season? Because Again, dealing with dealing with weather with weather is a big factor in how teams perform. But do you think if everything goes, you know, you know, everything goes wrong, do you think that it's the team's fault, or do you think being in a dome will benefit them overall? I think being in a dome is going to benefit them because they are a dome team. So when you play home, that's like that's what they're used to practicing, and that's what they're used to playing. In. So. When I've, I've watched them play, you know, we're in the, the New Jersey area. I've watched them play in MetLife, which against the Giants, against the Jets. And against the Giants, I've seen them play, and they played really well because the weather, it was an early, like a mid-September game, weather's fine, no problem. They played the same as they normally would have that season. Then I also seen them play the Jets, and it was a rainy day, and they were sloppy. So it's very, and I've seen them play in Philadelphia. It was a, a January playoff game, that playoff game that, Philly eventually won and then won the Super Bowl with. I watched them play. That game was probably 20 degrees out, and they just couldn't seem to get the offense going. So I, the weather is definitely an impact to them. Yeah, for sure. So I feel like now it's kind of – it's put up or shut up time, and I feel like they should be able to perform at the high level that they were that Super Bowl year. But I want to jump into Devontae Freeman for a second. He's coming back off injury. We haven't seen him play in a very long time. Do you think he comes back playing at a high level as well, or do you think he's kind of got to get adjusted this year? Because I'm hoping for a giant year from this guy because he's under that big contract and also he's on my fantasy team. So I kind of need to see him put up these numbers. Um, what do you think of Devontae Freeman coming back? How does that change the dynamic of them? Because they had Ito Smith and they had Tel- uh, Tevin Coleman, who's now with the 49ers, back with Shanahan, and now he's out of the picture. And a lot of work is going to go to Devontae Freeman, maybe use utilize Ito Smith um, very, you know, minimally, but when they need to use him, they will. What do you think of him in this year? I think that, that Freeman really, I think they need him to have that big year. I, I feel like he's going to have that big year because he brings a whole different dynamic to offense. You brought up Coleman, how he was the running back last year for basically most of the season. But, but Coleman is more of a speed back. He's the kind of guy where he gets those blocks, he, takes, he shoots the gap, and he takes off, and he's hard to catch. He's also a good passing back. Freeman is that ground and pound. He's going to run over you. He's going to run through you. But he can also juke you out. He can, he can do other things. He is quick, and he can make catches, but he's more of that ground and pound. He's going to run you over. He's really going to be a physical um, running back. And I feel like that's partially where the injury trouble has come because he's not afraid to run into somebody. He's not afraid to run over somebody. So he's had some concussion problems, some, some knee issues that uh, he's, he's dealt with in his career, and he hasn't been in the league that long. But I feel like he's going to – have a good career, but with, with Ito Smith this season behind him, Ito Smith isn't 
that, you know, he's not a bad, like, second guy. And uh, he plays very familiar to Freeman, too. He's not really like Coleman where he was a speed back. Uh, you know, Smith's more of a big guy like Freeman, and he'll, he'll bounce over the tackles. So, uh, But I definitely think Freeman will, will have a big year this year. I think he's going to be excited to get back out there. As long, he stays, as long as he stays healthy, I think this should be a great year for him. And again, you have to readjust to the league because missing a whole year, the NFL changes each and every year, and we say that all the time. So I feel like once he's readjusted, I feel like it's going to take him a few games but I feel like, like we mentioned before, being in a dome is going to help him as well. You're not slipping, you're not falling, it's not cold. You're, you know, you don't have to deal with all these different types of issues. But I expect a big year from Devontae Freeman. Um, do you think they should go more of the pass for, you know, of uh, the run first route and try to rely on him in the, on the ground game because they've been missing that when they try to, you know, open things up for the receivers? Because again, Julio Jones is a phenomenal talent. But there's years where he doesn't get this ball as mu- the ball as much as he should because nothing is really open for him to, for the ball to reach him. So, do you think Devontae Freeman coming back opens things up for the guys on the outside like Julio, Sanu, and Ridley? Uh, it definitely does because um, if you go back to the Super Bowl years, 2016, when when they went all the way and they were doing really well, uh, the thing that Shanahan really brought to that offense that really made Julio stand out. I mean, he's already talented. He was great before that. But to really, he really worked with was uh, they would establish the run, and then there was a lot of play actions. And when you have a lot of play actions, Julio gets open because, you know, you fake a handoff to Freeman, everybody's going to, the linebackers are going to jump, the safeties are going to start to pay attention to him if he's having a good game. And then Julio can sneak behind him and take off. And if, you know, you delay a second, Julio, that could be enough for Julio. He's gone. Same thing with Ridley. He could be gone. He's, he's running down the field. And, uh, you know, he's also in motion a lot. That's one of the things that really helps work with Julio. And, and it all starts with the running game. If there's no running game, no one's going to bite on the play action, and that's gonna, they're just going to stay double coverage. It's going to be harder and harder for him or Ridley to get open. And, you know, you know talking about Jones for a second, I mean, again, he's a phenomenal talent, and that, that'll definitely open things up for him. And I hope to see that for them because that's the thing they were missing when Tevin, Col- Tevin Coleman was on the field, he's not really faking anyone out to, you know, open up the pa- the play action. But Julio Jones should be expecting a brand new contract soon, so that's a pretty good thing for the team. Um, a pretty good thing for him as well is that he's still going to training camp. He's still been showing up. He's not holding out like these other guys. What does that say as a human being that he is? That he re- he's he's had that conversation with the owner and he knows exactly um, what the plan is for them. Do you think him coming to training camp? helps the team, you know, bonding-wise, and does this help him have a, get a contract sooner? Because he's a guy that, you know, he, he's a, a phenomenal wide receiver. He's in, the, he's in the top five. He's in the top five discussion each and every year. Um, do you think this contract will benefit Julio Jones' game moving forward? Or is it kind of going to be like, I signed this massive contract, and now what if I underperform? That's the thing I'm scared of with guys like Michael Thomas, and we'll get into that later. He's getting $100 million dollars. Um, in his contract, do you think Julio Jones getting that type of big contract will affect his game in any way? I mean, honestly, I feel like he 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 wants the contract, but I feel like the contract is not really you know what's what what is driving him. If you if you hear him talk at training camps, you hear him talk in general. He's not he, obviously money is important. Money makes the world go round. But he seems he he just wants to go out there and play football. That's really why he's out there. There are some guys that you know the league has changed a lot. The league used to be where these guys would be getting paid almost nothing, and they were just happy to be out there. And somewhere between that time and where we're at now, it kind of changed to where 
people are starting to learn their value and they're starting to say, okay, well, if you don't give me my money, then somebody else is going to give me my money, so I'm just going to go play somewhere else. I feel like Julio is kind of – he knows he wants to stay in Atlanta, and that's just where his home is. That's where, that's where his heart is. He wants to play there. Um, you know, you hear you heard guys like Odell and Antonio Brown have said that in the past as well, but things didn't really work out the same way for them. But I feel like he's – the contract, I don't think it's going to really phase him. I don't think it's going to really put any pressure on him as a person. I think he's just going to go out there and do what he does because he – He's very mellow when it comes to playing games. His mindset, he's talked many times, and he says, if I'm out there and I'm not putting up as that great numbers, but we're winning, I don't care. That's Those have been, like, words that come out of his mouth. He doesn't – and he says, like, oh, if, if, if I'm not doing well, but, like, my teammates are eating, that's good because then, then I'll get to eat later because then they'll get the focus. Like, he's a very team-oriented guy, so I feel like that is kind of the main difference in where he's at right now. And I think that's a great thing for Julio Jones because it's you look at Michael Thomas and you look at Julio Jones, who are both phenomenal talents in the league, and obviously Julio Jones has been doing it for a very long time, and Michael Thomas is just up and coming, and now it's time for him to get a new extension, and he gets that $100 million. His focus was, was on holding out until he got that contract. He gets it. Um, sometimes money can affect the way you play, and I feel like with Julio Jones having this type of attitude, it'll definitely benefit them in the future. But I want to jump into their other wide receivers. Calvin Ridley and Mohamed Sanu. Mohamed Sanu is a pretty solid and over-reliable wide receiver that they can have in the slot. Calvin Ridley, we've seen flashes of him in his rookie year. Again, there's always you know mentions of him being an older guy. He spent all his years in college. Well, he's Alabama, right? Yes. He spent all four years there, so he comes into the league, and I feel like the league nowadays they want you to be 21, fresh out of college, and you know, you know, start your NFL career early so they can get a jump on what kind of what could they see from you and what what could they utilize your talent for in the big leagues. Um, Calvin really, he's been in, he's been in Alabama for his whole entire college career. He comes into the league, and it was I thought it was a phenomenal pick by the Atlanta Falcons when they first chose him, um, but now. We've seen flashes of him in his rookie year, and he had that one game where he had like three touchdowns or something like that. He was like the only one being yeah. targeted in the red zone. So yeah, we've seen those flashes. What's it going to take for them to give him more of those flashes in his sophomore year? Because if they get more of that, the dynamic duo between him and Julio Jones on the outside is going to be deadly. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's honestly, it's just the, the scheme he's fit in. Because when you think about it, you're going up against the guy, you have Julio Jones on the other side of him. How do you not double somebody like that? He sometimes even gets triple coverage. That's somebody that's always going to be focused on that. Like that defense is always going to have an eye on him wherever he goes. And that benefited Ridley because Ridley was up and coming his, his rookie year. No one really knew what to expect. They, they thought he was talented, but no one really knew what to expect. And then he came out, and I think he got about around 10 touchdowns on the season, and he had 800-something yards on the whole season. Like, that, that's good. That's really good numbers, especially when you look at who he's behind. So I feel like by him just being out there with the talent he's out there with, even in terms of, you know, Freeman coming back, and like I was saying with the play action, getting him open, I feel like even that is going to benefit him even more. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he puts up maybe him and Julio will be the first two in a while to go over 1,000 yards as teammates. And... You know, I mentioned only Mohamed Sanu very briefly, and I definitely think Calvin Ridley, Calvin Ridley is going to be fine for the remainder of his career. And if someone goes down, you're always going to have that guy that will be placed in as your number one. I think those two guys are a very good one-two mm -hmm. punch. But Sanu in the slot, how is he going to help these guys? Because Sanu, he'll have some productive years, but there's some years where he's kind of under the radar and then he'll have that one game where he kind of shines as 
you know, he's been the guy that's been there for a while and he could, he could still help out the team. Do you think he'll still be in that old reliable type fashion that in the position he's in, or will he kind of be a little bit of a shadow to Ridley? Because now Matt Ryan has new, a new toy to play with, which is Calvin Ridley, but coming into his second year, he's going to utilize him a lot more. Do you think he gets less usage or more usage moving forward? Um, I don't think his usage is going to change too much because Ridley plays more. Uh, he's a he's a speed guy. He's going to streak down the field. He's going to run. He's going to outrun people. He has very good footwork, so he can juke people out. But he really does well running his routes. Um, whereas Sanu, he will run deep, but I feel like he runs more of these like slam patterns. He'll run like a, like across the field, like a drag route. He doesn't really go deep too often. So I feel like he's you got you could have two wide receivers with Julio and Ridley running deep down the field. And then you got Sanu, who's really that person where it's like a second or third in like five. He's definitely going to get that look because he has great hands and he is really good at route running, and that's where he's going to run. He always The other two are getting the attention, and he's not bad at all by any means. So he's got great hands, going to run down the field. He's going to be running that like short to intermediate route, and that's, he just runs through the zone, and, and that's all it takes. I mean, he's, he's really not a bad receiver, but he's just been overshadowed his whole career. He was behind A.J. Green his first couple years that he was with the Bengals, and now he's behind Julio and Ridley. So. Yeah, and, you know, here here's the thing. They run a three-wide receiver, one tight end set. You have a guy like Austin Hooper who stuck around with the team for a while. I feel like their best success is when they were utilizing the tight end, and they haven't really been targeting Austin Hooper as much. I think he's a, a pretty solid talent. Um, he's always under the radar each and every year, but when you give him the ball, and again, he had that massive stiff arm last season, earlier in the season, that's when he was getting the ball the most, but later on, his you know his usage was has regressed and regressed more. Do you think he is a solid guy to be there at tight end, or do you think they should focus more on their wide receiver group since they have more talent there overall? I mean, it's, it's tough. I feel like he Hooper brings a whole different dynamic to that team compared to the receivers. I mean, Sanu and, and Hooper, I feel like, are the most similar in terms of out of those receiving groups. But Hooper is hes a good blocker. He's, uh, I mean, he runs the shorter routes. He's not going to run anything big. But I feel like he's kind of – he started off like it was the opposite of what we were saying with Ridley, where he came into the league and he didn't – he wasn't really, I think, fully to his potential. He didn't really know. He, he didn't really – he'd fill into the shoes yet. So his first year or two, he wasn't really producing well, so he wasn't getting many looks. But I feel like starting last year, there were flashes of where he, he showed what he could do. And I feel like he's improving as a player, so I feel like you need to keep working with him. That's the only way he's going to get better and better and better each season. Do I think he's going to be somebody you know, like Zach Ertz or when Greg Olson was a big guy or you know Gronk? Do I think he's going to turn into that? No. But I think he's going to be middle of the tier in terms of tight ends and I feel like he could just do what he has to do and I feel like sometimes that's enough yeah I got you but well let's tie let's jump into their offensive line for a second here because this was a big issue that needed to be addressed um, following their season in the middle of the season where they were experiencing some injuries with their guards and they make some moves in the offseason they pick up Jamon Brown who was a free agent uh, from the from the Giants when he was uh, picked up by them on the waivers and then they draft uh Lindstrom in the first round of the draft and that was their immediate their immediate goal was to address the uh, offensive line and now they have some depth there 
So we're talking about guys like Jake Matthews, who's a phenomenal uh, left tackle, James Carpenter at guard, Alex Mack, and then Lindstrom at right guard, who's going to be starting. And then the right tackle, uh, Ty Sambrello. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. I never know how to. Yeah. What do you think of these guys now with a new and improved look? You have a new guy come in. If injuries happen, Jamon Brown jumps in, and they have some depth there now. Do you think now that issue is resolved and moving forward they don't have to worry about, you know, putting in second, you know, you know, putting in third, fourth string guys off the practice squad? I mean, injuries, you can't, they're inevitable. You can't really prevent them. You could try, but you can't prevent them. I feel like with what they have right now in terms of their starting line, definitely an improvement um you couldn't really see that too much in the preseason because they didn't really play them that long so um i know that there were a lot of sacks a lot of hits on matt ryan or whoever was in the second string um whether they had matt Schaub or ben Curry or whoever they had in um there were a lot of hits but that wasn't necessarily the starting line i think you know it's kind of i hope i would say that it improves because we spent two first round picks because we traded up. We got yeah. Caleb McGlary too, who's yeah, also McGlary. like a right guard, I think. So we, we traded up and we got two offensive linemen. He's a tackle. He's a tackle. Yep. Okay. So if if we don't if they don't perform well, it's kind of like we wasted that whole draft. Yeah, I could definitely see that, but you could tell that they they were definitely trying to address the issues that they needed to be resolved because if they were taking like a running back in the first round or they were taking like you know some back end you know defensive tackle that they could have gotten in the second round that would have been an issue but I feel like they did a solid job here um you know getting getting these guys in here to try to improve their offensive line and then later drafted defensively they also drafted a running back later in the round so I think these were a solid solid additions to have on a team that was struggling last year, and now they have that depth. But speaking of injuries, let's jump into their defense for a second. Last year, a lot of injuries. First game of the season, there was a lot of injuries. So uh, right away, um, they were hit head-on with these type of injuries that kind of you know, held their season in check, and it, it was kind of tough to move forward from that. Coming into this year, again, they have um, Tech McKinley at left defensive end, Grady Jarrett um, at D-tackle. Uh, Vic Beasley, they've been trying to get a hold of what position they want to play him. I, mean, I know as like a linebacker, he as a linebacker, was he a pro bowler or as, or as a defensive end? Um, he was considered like an edge rusher, kind of like he was listed as a linebacker. He wasn't technically a D end when he went to the Pro Bowl when he led the league in sacks. Um, he was more of like the outside linebacker where he just went in on a couple downs to blitz, like he didn't. He's not going to go out there and cover anyone. So he's not like the coverage linebacker when he did that. But uh, I know Dan Quinn now, they moved him back to defensive end, and they've been trying to work with him because last year Dan Quinn wasn't in charge of the defense. The year that Vic Beasley really shined and led the league in sacks, Dan Quinn was in charge of the defense. So they're hoping this year with Dan Quinn being in charge of the defense, they can really turn Vic Beasley around. Yeah, we're definitely going to see a different adjustment from him, and he's a phenomenal player and very under the radar, as always, each and every year. That's because they couldn't really find a position for him to play where he can excel. He's a, he's a phenomenal talent. They got Deion Jones at middle linebacker. He's dealing with an injury right now. Um, you have Keanu Neal at strong safety and uh, Isaiah Oliver at cornerbacks. And um, who else am I missing here? I'm not sure, but this isn't a bad True defensive fun. front. Yeah, you got Trufon as well. I haven't I missed him there. Yeah, Desmond Trufon at the other cornerback. So this isn't a, this is a solid defensive front you have here. Um, the only thing that they need to do they need to really 
you know, focus on is, is these is these injuries and take take care of themselves because they also have a uh, Claiborne at defensive end as well. I missed him, and you know, I'm missing all these names, and these are great names on the roster to have on your defense. And a de- defenses don't co- only come a dime a dozen. I mean, we've seen teams start from the bottom up and g- create a great defense, such as uh, the Chicago Bears and the Jaguars. Those guys were known for. They're now known for their defenses, not in which they weren't before. But I feel like there's like a 50-50, you know, percentage in, you know, usage and workload that they'll have with the offense and defense for the Atlanta Falcons. What do you think of these these this team defensively, and how could they improve moving forward? Uh, I mean, the whole issue that we've been having recently is pass rush. Our secondary has been relatively solid. I mean, they've had some ups and downs, but I feel like a part of that is also because there is no pass rush. And it's, it's very difficult to cover NFL wide receivers for like five, six seconds. I mean, you need to get that pressure in because after a while, you're just chasing people at that point. And that, you could put one of the best corners in the league out there. It's going to be hard to, to stay with guys for that long throughout the whole game. Uh, so I think that they really need to get Vic Peely back to his form when he, had, when he led the league in sacks. Um, Tack McKinley has been promising, and I feel like he needs to really switch it, like change it into that new gear. Grady Jarrett just got his contract, and he's been a reliable inside pressure. Um, I feel like that's really what we need to work on. Our linebackers will blitz occasionally; they're they're all right at that. But those three that I named with the defensive line, they they really need to step it up this year. They've been performing well. They need to kind of go one step further and really put it together as a unit. So I don't really like to mention any special teams because I like to mainly focus on where they're most impacted, but a lot of teams find find it really difficult to find a solid kicker, and they had Matt Bryant a while ago before letting him go or he was up on his contract. I think they just decided to let him go. Tavecchio was yeah. in there. They bring him in. He isn't a bad kicker. He's a lefty. And then they just signed Blair Walsh, who people thought that was a questionable signing and they start bringing Matt Bryant in again it was a report by Adam Schefter that said if they're going to bring him in for a workout it's not going to be a workout they're going to offer him a contract and see what he says do you think bringing him back will change um, how the offensive offense works because he's kind of the guy like even though he's up there in age 44 years old if you could still put the football through the uprights I mean any any team will need need that and I feel like as long as the Atlanta Falcons have a reliable kicker if they can't score they could still put up points on the board. Do you think it's the best decision for them to to sign him, or what, what's the possibility there that he comes back? I think there's a high possibility because if they weren't going to bring him back, I mean, they had Tavecchio who was doing solid last year and throughout this preseason has been shaky. Um, and where I realized that they might consider bringing somebody back, uh, else in is when they brought in Blair Walsh. If they, they were saying leading up to the whole season, after the whole Matt Bryant release and everything, they said, you know, Tavecchio is our guy. That's who we're going to work with. He's been really promising. He's been performing strong. That's who we're going to go with. And then, you know, week three of the preseason, you bring in Blair Walsh. So it's kind of like, uh, that's maybe he's not performing at what they wanted anymore. So the fact they brought somebody else in, it's kind of they're not sticking to their words where he's our guy, we're sticking with him. And now with Matt Bryant coming back up, I feel like Tavegia was not what they wanted. He's not turning out the way they figured. So, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of the people on the team are looking at this year as a possibility to go back to that Super Bowl. Like, they're trying to get another Super Bowl run. Every team is trying to do that. But Atlanta has a lot of pieces, and as you mentioned, you know, they have a, they have a lot of dome games. So by having that kicker, 
as we've seen with the Bears, a kicker can be a huge game changer in, in how the game ends up. So jumping into their schedule, and let, let, let's just see from here how their outlook is just based off of who they'll be facing this season. They have the Vikings Week 1, Eagles Week 2, Colts Week 3, Titans Week 4, Texans Week 5, Cardinals Week 6, Rams Week 7, Seahawks Week 8, uh, Saints Week 9. So those 7 through 9 games are going to be pretty tough for them, um, especially with a, yeah. a team coming down from a from Super Bowl loss just like the Falcons did a little while ago. Um, they're still a top-tier team defensively and offensively. you got the Seahawks, who just re-signed uh, Russell Wilson to a massive extension, and he's a phenomenal player. He's one of the better quarterbacks in the league. If anything, I would say – I would even make an argument to say he's number one just based on his age, and he should be a two-time Super Bowl winner. But, you know, they just didn't run the ball at the one-yard line, so that's what took that away from him. But you can't um, undersell who the Seahawks are coming into the season. Seven through nine are going to be some must-win games – and especially um, in the division against the Saints, who are pretty tough, and we're going to get into those guys in a second. They go into another division game after that with the Panthers, and then they follow that with the Buccaneers, Saints again, Panthers again, 49ers uh, week, uh, week 14, and then the Jaguars week 16, and then they end off with the Buccaneers. Um, oh, what did I say before? I mean 13, 14, yeah. So 14 is the 49ers, week 15 is the Jaguars, week 16 is the Bucks. So realistically, going through that whole schedule, what do you think their ending record is going to be? Um, I realistically think they could, get a, they could pull out about 9 or 10 wins. 9 or 10 wins. I definitely see yeah. now, I mean, Vikings are a pretty solid team. I definitely see the, the, Viking, uh, the Vikings and the Falcons being similar in you know big names on their on their team and massive in contract extensions who they gave to great players so I definitely think that's going to be a tough head-to-head matchup mentioned the Eagles um I feel like those two teams have each other's number when they play I feel like it's always a tight matchup um but the the Falcons Mm -hmm. really need to come out on top with those with uh, that game and then you have the Colts who um and are now dealing with uh, a loss with the retirement of Andrew Luck so I feel like it's wide open for them at that point. I mean, they're going to have to really perform with who they got. Titans are or Titans are still putting it together as a team. Texans have a bad offensive line. So there's a lot of games here. I see them winning. I think at most they win nine games. If they pull out ten games, that just means they perform really well in division, I think. Yeah. So do you think they come out on top in the division, or do you think the Saints give them a run for their money? Because we're going to jump into those guys right now, actually. Yeah, Um. I mean, I feel like... I think that the Saints, I, I don't know how you don't have them as the uh, the number one in that division, um, unless they deal with something that we dealt with last year when there were a ton of injuries to some key guys. I just, I feel like, you know, Drew Brees, his numbers have been dropping, but the performance by the team is not, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I got you. So let's jump into the Saints for a second here. So... Coming into this year, there is a lot of hype to these guys because they unfortunately did they lost not on their terms because as you remember on the Rams and Saints game, they didn't give a chance for um, Drew Brees to even come close to scoring due to the pass interference call, which changed the, the dynamic of the league forever. Now they have a flag for that in particular for pass interference. So I feel like these guys are always on the, the wrong end of, you know, they're on the wrong end of circumstances that are faced towards them and I'm talking like um you know when they went up against the Vikings and then Stefan Diggs scores on them with zero zero minutes zero seconds on the board and 
you know, and they move on to the next round. Saints lose. Last year they have that pass interference call, and that that was a big issue with them. Do you think do, do you think the Saints have a pretty solid chance this year, based on the what all the adversity they have to go through, um, to make it to the next round without any of these circumstances happening again? Because honestly, it's been terrible for the Saints. I think that they have a good chance, but I feel like I've mentioned with like, you know, we mentioned with Atlanta a couple minutes ago how it's kind of you know, make or break, like, this is a season, big season. They have 13 games in a dome. I feel like it's even more so for the Saints because Drew Brees' time is ticking. He doesn't have much time left. I know he says that he wants to keep playing and keep playing and keep playing, but realistically, you know, you don't want something to happen where, you know, like how Eli Manning, where he was so notable. He had two Super Bowl wins. He was a really respectable quarterback, and now people are calling him, like, the joke of the NFL. You don't want something like that to happen. So I feel like Drew Brees' time is slowly deteriorating. Like each year he's getting older, one year older, one year older. And it's like the team around him is younger, but he's that piece that's really keeping them all together. And I feel like without him, it's gonna be, they're going to be a different team. So I feel like they really, really, really need to put it together. They're, they're right there, but they, really, they just need that one extra step. They, they've been there. They were almost in the Super Bowl two years ago. They were a play away last year. So I feel like they definitely can do it. They just need to. I think they'll get there. I really think they do. But we're going to jump into their schedule in a little bit because I think they, they have one of a, they have a pretty tough schedule going into this year. And uh, we'll take a look at that in a little bit. But I want to jump into the man uh, that's going to really show this league how he can do um, with the spotlight and not share it, and that guy is Alvin Kamara. I mean, uh, Melvin, uh, Mark Ingram is now out uh, of New Orleans, and he's moved on and signed a two-year deal with the Ravens, so he's going to be utilized over there. This gives Alvin Kamara the chance to prove that I can, I'm can, i able to be the guy in the backfield. I don't have to share it anymore. If you give me the opportunities that you were giving Mark Ingram and you've just put all of the workload on me, I could definitely do it. He's dynamic um, in the passing game. He's a very good ground and pound type guy. When you see him running, it's almost like he has Vaseline just all over his body. No, none of them, no one can tackle him. He's just a very slippery guy. And what do you think – how do you think this year will turn out for Alvin Kamara now that he doesn't have to share the spotlight with Mark Ingram anymore? Um, I mean, I feel like he's one of the best, probably top three, four, five running back in the league. And, uh, I mean, his play style is unique. He's not really a built kind of guy. He's in good shape. He's more, I'd say he's a really good passing back. He's a good speed back. He's not, he will run over people, but that's not really his play style. Uh, so I feel like that's beneficial if he's going to be playing more downs because the less he gets hit, theoretically, the the more time he's going to be able to play with less injuries. Um, so I feel like that will definitely help his longevity within the season if he's going to be relied on more. Uh, but I, I feel like he's can do it. I feel like there's no reason why he wouldn't because last year wasn't Mark Ingram suspended for the first four games or something? Yep, first four games. And you see the way he performed without him on the roster and he was still able to hold his own when he wasn't on there. Exactly. So I feel like he can definitely – do it he just you know I feel like his and the way he plays is really going to help him out be able to try to not get injured because a lot of times these guys will run over people and that's that's nice to see and it's good at the goal line or to get that tough couple yards on a third down it's good but to be doing it every down it's going to take a toll on your body yeah definitely but 
I've seen I've heard I've heard this stat on other podcasts and I've also seen it that Alvin Kamara is looked to the most in re- in the red zone and that was when Mel- that was when Mark Ingram was still in there and he was considered to be um, you know the guy that he's been there for a while and now he was there before Alvin Kamara got there so they're gonna rely on him as well but that was even with Mark Ingram still on the roster and now with him gone they're gonna look to come to look to Kamara a lot and you're gonna see a lot of usage come out of him. Um, moving on to this receiving core, we got Michael Thomas, like I mentioned before, signed that massive contract of $100 million. Um, Ted Ginn still on the team. Traquan Smith, who had his rookie year last year. Um, now they have Jared Cook. I think Jared Cook is going to be a phenomenal addition that they have on the team because he, whatever team he's on, regardless of what his quarterback is, they're going to get some solid usage. Um, he's dealt with guys like Aaron Rodgers. He's dealt with Derek Carr, and he was a very top-tier tight end um, opposed to the other tight ends in the league at his position. He was still putting up like 100-yard games, and he was very looked to in the end zone. Um, I think it's a very solid pickup by them. I think Drew Brees is going to use them a lot coming into this year. But as we've seen, Drew Brees is very capable of throwing the ball around and spreading it out to guys like Keith Kirk, Keith Kirkwood, Austin Carr, and Darren Arnold last year. I think there was a game where they only threw to those three guys, and Michael Thomas didn't even score a touchdown. And he, El- Alvin Kamara didn't score a touchdown, so he has a lot of targets. He'll be able to utilize them all. How big of an impact is extending Michael Thomas to that huge deal and having guys like Jared Cook on the lineup now to give Drew Brees that extra little push that he needs to, you know, put up more points on the board? Yeah, I mean, you they needed Michael Thomas back. There was no way you could let him walk. There's no way you should have let any issues go on, like what's going on with Zeke right now. Um, and Jadevian Clowney, like people like that. There's, there's no way you want something like that going on, especially with a player like that. Because, uh, I mean, Kamara is very talented, but if you take Michael Thomas out, their, their receiving game is, is dull. Like he's, he's a huge target for that team. And I mean, adding Jared Cook is a big help. Uh, it's really going to help because ever since Jimmy Graham left, they really have had a tough time with a tight end and. You know, as you saw when when Jimmy Graham was there, um, Drew Brees really utilized the tight end spot and really made it work and and threw it in. And, and you know, a lot of times there's mismatches with tight ends because they're getting covered by linebackers or safeties, and sometimes you know they're, they're a lot bigger than them. So I think that'll definitely benefit Drew Brees by having these two new guys. Um, but yeah, you you just can't. That Michael Thomas extension was, was very needed. There's no way you you let him walk. Yeah, definitely not. I don't think his plan was to walk either. I think he just really wanted his money, and he got it. I feel like the Saints are really good at knowing what the next step is in their future because there's teams like the Cowboys, like you mentioned before, who they'll hold out Zeke as much as they can because they just um, don't want to worry about him at the moment. But the Saints, whenever there's a there's a cause of concern, they're going to pay a lot of attention to it. And as we know, I th- their plan moving forward is going to be Teddy Bridgewater, so they say. Um, there's a lot of buzz going around that says maybe they should move on with Taysom Hill. He's a lot older than Teddy Bridgewater, but he could also hold his own with this type of offense. Um, and, and again, like I mentioned before, they look to their future and Teddy Bridgewater. And if he is the guy, then he's kind of just going to fill that role and then utilize his weapons like he should. But Michael Thomas, again, he leads the league, um, I think, NFL in NFL history as well and the most catches um, at, at his age. Um, but again, this these these guys on the outside and using Jared Cook as well is going to be a great addition for him. I think Jared Cook is going to be widely targeted in the end zone. And if he's not targeted in the end zone and they go to Michael Thomas or Alvin Kamara and guys like that, I think 
he'll still have games where he'll have over seven receptions and maybe close to 100 yards or maybe over 100 yards. He'll have games like that, definitely. We'll see that coming out of him. Um, but their offensive line is pretty solid. They have Armstead, Pete, and Ramchek, who they drafted a while ago. This is a pretty solid offensive line. Um, each and every year, Drew Brees has enough time in the pocket to throw to whoever he wants, um, so there's no worry there. Jumping into their defense, who are considered to be very uh, very top-tier, but they never perform as top-tier, especially with these big names on here. So they extend, they extend Cameron Jordan to a large deal. Um, Sheldon Rankins is considered doubtful because of his injury. He may not play this year. They have Malcolm Brown at tackle, Davenport coming into his second year, uh, Alex Anzalone at linebacker, who has shown flashes of who he can be as a, a linebacker. Uh, they have Eli Apple again at quarter, cornerback, who performed well going to the Saints um, after being traded from the Giants. I mean, he wasn't performing well with the Giants, change of scenery, and he was putting up some pretty solid uh, performances with them. Um, they also have Von Bell at strong safety, Marcus Williams at free safety, and Marshawn Lattimore, you can't forget, who was rookie, uh, defensive rookie of the year that one year. And they also have depth. Um, and guys like, you know, Will Compton um, at middle linebacker. And they also have P.J. Williams at cornerback as well uh, with Eli Apple. And they have Kayvon Webster at uh, other cornerback. And they just have guys that they could use if push comes to shove and people get injured. They have Mario Edwards as a third string for their defensive tackle. Um, and then Ziggy Hood. And then I, I can go on and on. But do you think these guys take the next step now? Because that, that defensive rookie of the year uh, that – you know, Marshawn Lattimore, La Marshawn Lattimore had was pretty solid and they looked well overall, but then they had a down year last year. But do you think now heading into this year, they should be considered one of the top tier defenses in the league? Um, I, I think that they kind of, the, the rookie year, they kind of brought it all together uh, with, with Marshawn Lattimore. And then some of the other guys you named were also young as well. They took a lot of defensive heavy that year in the draft. And then I feel like last year was kind of uh, they like they just had like a sophomore slump. Um, I, I feel like they were just they just couldn't figure it out. They had such a good run, and they were just disappointed with how the season ended. And it was just getting to them like they just weren't performing at their level. Uh, I think that their defense has a lot of talent and has a lot of skill. But the one thing that worries me is their defense does tend to get a lot of interference and holding calls. Yeah, definitely. That's been a lot a big issues that they've had um but overall I think these guys should be fine coming in this into this year I definitely think you know the, the, the dynamic there is there um but I think their main cause of concern is having you know a guy like Marcus Davenport who had a pretty underwhelming first year now come in to his second year he knows exactly what to expect and he should be able to put it together in his sophomore year and, you know, make a difference for him. And I feel like if all the pieces come together, everyone performs the way they should be, I think they'll they'll be just fine. Yeah, they're they're very a relatively young unit, minus a couple guys in there. They're a relatively young unit out there. So they're they're progressing and they're they're growing as a team and as individuals. So I feel like that's helping them out as well. They have a lot of room to improve because they are so young. And so jumping into their schedule real quick, because we have other teams to cover as well. Again, it's a pretty tough schedule coming into this year. They start off with uh, the Texans week one. They have the Rams week two. So right away they're facing them again after um, having to deal with that pass interference call. Um, and then the Seahawks week three, Cowboys week four. And we've seen that, that one week where 
Saints were the favorited for I think that Thursday night game, if I'm not mistaken, or Monday yes. night game. And it was, a, it was a night game, yeah. Yeah, it was a night game, and everyone thought the Saints had that in the bag, and then the Cowboys come out on top. So. Yeah, I was very surprised. I remember watching that game, and the Cowboys just seemed to know what to do, and it was it was crazy. And that's where their defense is really starting to come together. So maybe this year the Saints yeah. will have enough film on them to understand where exactly to go on with them. Then they have a division game after that with the Buccaneers. They have the Jaguars coming up next, and I'm very high on them. I did an AFC South preview, so make sure to check that out. I speak about the Jaguars. I think they'll take advantage of the Colts losing Andrew Luck. I think they'll take advantage of uh, the, the Houston Texans and their offensive line. That's pretty shaky coming into this year. And then... You know, they follow that going into the Bears, and that's a pretty, pretty tough team because they're a solid defense as well. So back-to-back, they're going to be punched in the mouth by two solid defenses. What do you think about that? Uh, what weeks did you say those were? Uh, hold on, I kind of lost track here. So I got one, two, three, four. That's week six for the Jaguars and week seven for the Bears. I feel like at that point, um, with, with some of the other teams you name leading up, definitely, they could definitely have you know four wins by that point, three, four wins. So I feel like that's going to kind of lead, like pave the way leading into their second half of their season. If they can come on top with of uh, both of those games, I feel like that's kind of going to open up, like boost their confidence in that second half of that season leading into that part. It, it's really going to help them move forward. But I feel like if they start slumping, it, it could impact that whole second part of their their season, and uh, it, it could ultimately end up costing them games that they might not have lost. Yeah, so we're heading into October, like I mentioned before. We have week eight, they have the Cardinals. Week nine, they have the Falcons. Uh, week t- uh, 10, they have the Buccaneers. And then week 11, they go back uh, with the Panthers. Um, and then they go back to the Falcons week 12. 49ers week 11, uh, sorry, 13. Colts week 14. Um, and then Titans week 15. And then the Panthers week 16. So I definitely see a lot of tough games here. Not a lot of easy wins. Yeah. Not a lot of easy wins for them. Definitely, we're seeing a lot of teams that made the playoffs last year, especially in uh, the Cowboys, Seahawks. We're talking Rams and Bears, who are a kick away from you know making it far in the playoffs. And then we have the Jaguars, who are looking to bounce back after a very underwhelming defensive season, and they signed Nick Foles and stuff like that. I can go on and on, but a lot of these teams, it's, it's going to be pretty tough for them to get some wins out of. And I, I think they have enough in the tank to do so. Um, but if they don't, it's going to be very sad to see this team come into this year not performing the way they should be. And what, 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 how many wins do you possibly see the Saints winning this year? Um, yeah, I see, I, I said nine to ten for the Falcons. I think like ten, eleven. I think they're just gonna top them. I think so, too, because I'm really banking on these guys defensively and the way they perform offensively with Drew Brees. They should be able to hold their own, um, but again, the, a lot of teams are developing year in and year out. I definitely see at least a 10-win season. Um, if anything, that's because I'm very optimistic about this team, um, but very possibly they, they could end the season with even eight wins. And I think that's even in the realm of possibility if they don't take advantage of teams like the Rams and the Bears and you know the Jaguars, like I mentioned before, and they got to win these games. They got to win their division games as well. They're not easy, and again, a lot of teams in this division, including the Falcons, who we mentioned before, are in an easy team um, to handle coming into this year. So, yeah, yeah, that that middle part of their season is really a lot of 
heavy uh, division games. That's really, I feel like, going to be the make or break point for their season. And I feel like at that point in the season, everything should be together. You should know exactly how to utilize your assets. Um, but if you can't capitalize on division games, you should, you could pretty much say goodbye to a chance um, at making it um, to a playoff run. But I think the Saints are good enough um, to surpass those teams, if anything. So we can jump into the next team on the docket. That is the Carolina Panthers. A lot of question marks here. We're unsure as to how they're going to perform this year. They started off pretty solid last year. But coming into this year, um, we're talking Cam Newton, who is injured right now, but he should be ready for week one, as Ron Rivera said before. You got Christian McCaffrey, who is very reliable in the backfield. He could be a ground-and-pound guy. He's a speedster. He could also be a very solid passing down back, which is what he's known for. But he could he very well do both. That's what, um, you know, coming into the league, he's tried to prove, and he's done a pretty good job at it. Um, they have DJ Moore coming into his second year at wide receiver, who could be their number one target. Um, and then they have Chris Hogan, who they signed to that one-year deal, and he's a Super Bowl winner. And they have Torrey Smith, who is a veteran. And they have Curtis Samuel, who's a speed, speedster. And they have Jarius Wright, who's also a speedster. So, And they have Aldrick Robinson, um, who could be a red zone target possibly. Uh, what do you think of his of Cam Newton, the wide receiving core that he has? Do you think Christian McCaffrey will be a big part of it? Yeah, I think McCaffrey is going to be a really big part of it. Um, I feel like the last uh, couple years, I mean, I feel like once Kelvin Benjamin and Greg Olson, well, Kelvin Benjamin was gone, and Greg Olson with his injury problems, I think since then they really haven't done much in terms of receivers. Like his receivers haven't been really performing well. So I feel like McCaffrey is kind of – help that out but I feel like by bringing in Chris Hogan that that definitely helps um I I just I see them they they just swing the ball to McCaffrey and he kind of does it all and I feel like that's why would you fix it if it's not broken yeah I got you there I I definitely think Chris uh, Christian McCaffrey is going to be a huge part of this offense um again their wide receiving core doesn't have a solid number one but I think DJ Moore could possibly emerge as their number one. I feel like last year, a lot of drop balls, but he's also a deep threat target as well. Do you think he's kind of shaking off that rookie year that he had and now moving forward he'll be um, possibly their number one or even like sneak up as their number one in the, during the season? Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's very aware that the, the possibility, as you mentioned, that he could be a number one receiver. Um, you know, the, the, the possibilities are endless with him, and it's kind of – no, he. This is his time. He really needs to to show up. Otherwise, they they could move on from him in the, in the future. In the near future, you don't know what they're going to do. So I feel like he he really. I think you know he obviously understands what this means. Where he could be the possibility of that number one receiver. They don't really have much of a receiving threat. Uh so I, I feel like he can. He has talent. I feel like he can put it together. It's just he needs to have Cam Newton. They need to build that relationship. Cam has been injured. It's been hard. Yeah, we've talked about Greg Olson as well. He could be a reliable target if he gets back to being, you know, healthy and a safety blanket for um, Cam Newton. But I don't think he'll be at the highest level he was a couple years back. Their main issue that they had was their offensive line. Again, they they lose a guy like Andrew Norwell to the Jaguars, who signed a massive contract there. Um, their offensive line doesn't look too great coming into this year. But again, Cam Newton is a very mobile guy. He can make it work if he needs to. Um, is this a main cause of concern for them? And can they rely on Cam Newton to be scrambling out of the pocket as much as he can coming into this year and making plays like he usually does? Or do you think improving the offensive line will help that? I think they need to improve that offensive line because 
he's had he's done the year they made it to the Super Bowl. He really did it all. He was he was you know scrambling. He was making big plays. He was making plays with his feet too. He didn't have a ton of passing yards or a ton of passing touchdowns. Uh, he but he had a lot of rushing yards, a lot of rushing touchdowns, a lot of big plays on the ground. Um, I, I think that they need to really they're trying to change the way Cam Newton plays because of what he's, he's been dealing with injuries in the past couple of seasons. And I feel like the one way that they're going to try to keep him healthy is by not having him run and scramble as much. And I feel like if you're not going to have him scramble as much as he normally does, you need that pocket protection. And if they don't have that line, they're not going to get it. And that could lead to further injuries down the line for him. And I know their offense is always a, a, a big point everyone wants to make that they could be very elite with the weapons that they had because – you know, Cam Newton didn't have these type of weapons like a wide receiver like DJ Moore who could possibly be a very big talent um, as the years go by. But getting into their defense, a big signing that they had was signing Gerald McCoy. And they have Dontari Poe at nose tackle. They have Kawan Short at defensive yeah. end. And they had the, and their draft pick was another defensive player in Brian Burns. So a very, yeah. a very big thing here for the Panthers and a very – Big, big, big asset that they need to use is all these acquisitions and all these drafts, uh, draft picks, um, and how they'll be utilizing them defensively. Do you think you'll see a big exclamation point in how they perform defensively? Again, you have a guy like Luke Keekley, um, who is a top linebacker each and every year, now leading uh, the pack here with all these brand new guys coming in. How is that, you know, one two punch going to be with a guy like McCoy, who's been in the league for a very long time? He's a phenomenal player. And Luke Keekley are going to perform like everyone all together. How are they going to perform as a unit? Well, I think they're having these these veteran guys that you mentioned. You know, like you have Poe, you have McCoy, you have Keekley. These guys are kind of guys that have been in the league for a while, and you you kind of know what you're going to get out of them. They're not going to have these up and down seasons. I feel like they're at the point in their careers where you know, like you you can expect what's going to come out of them. And then you have this guy like that, their first round pick Brian Burns, who has flashed a lot of you know talent in the preseason. Um, I feel like by having that veteran presence with him, it's really going to help boost his game that much more because, I mean, these guys have been in the league longer than, than him, obviously, so they're going to know the, the ins and outs. They're going to know some, some tricks and some things that maybe he wouldn't have known because he hasn't been in the league enough. So I feel like that's really going to just amplify these younger guys that they have, and uh, I feel like their pass rush is going to just get up to the next, le- uh, next level this season coming up. And uh, that, that might help their offense. It might take some of that pressure off of Cam Newton to have to go out there and really do everything in order to win games. But um, I think their defense is looking a lot better than it has in the past. I agree with you, man. And I didn't even finish reading off the names. We have strong safety Eric Reed. They just signed uh, free safety Trey Boston to a one-year deal. They have James Bradbury at cornerback. Um, and I forgot Shaq Thompson is also at inside linebacker. So a lot of big names here. And I think... I think they'll go back to their ways the way they were that deep, that you know Super Bowl run that they had because not only was Cam Newton an MVP and not only was he a big threat offensively but defensively they were playing their best defense they've ever played um, as an organization. So do you think they go back to those ways this year or do you think and a couple new pieces will help that out? I think a couple pieces will definitely help get them towards that, but I don't know if they're going to all it's all going to click within this year. I think you know, maybe a year or two working together, they may be able to do it, but I don't know if one year everyone's going to click all on the same page and everyone's going to understand. Because you just mentioned a ton of new guys that are coming from a ton of different systems and a ton of different ways of doing things. So I feel like it's going to it's going to take some time, 
And, I mean, you know, last year the Panthers started off like 5 or 6-0 and it didn't win a game after that. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of flip that this year where they start off a little bit slower and uh, really pick it up towards the middle to end of the season. And honestly, looking at their schedule right now, it doesn't look too bad to start off the season. I mean, week one is going to be pretty tough already going up against the Rams, but they follow that with an in-division game like the Buccaneers, who I think they can handle um, offensively. Um, and again, like we mentioned, their defense, I hope they can perform as well too because early on in the season, maybe these guys don't put it together. Again, they have a brand-new offensive head coach, um, an offensive coordinator and head coach is what I mean, and I think – um, if they attack the Buccaneers early and often, I think they can handle those guys. So I definitely see a win there. They jump into the Cardinals week three, who is a brand new team. Basically, they're basically the rookie of the NFL because they have a brand new head coach and a brand new quarterback. And they just did that same thing last year where they had a brand new coach and a brand new quarterback. And those guys aren't even there anymore. So maybe they could take advantage of that. The Texans have a weak offensive line. They, they have that week four. On week five, they have the Jags, who are going to be a tough matchup for them. And then they jump back to the Buccaneers uh, week six, who are going to be a totally different team come October. Um, and then the 49ers after that, uh, they have the Titans. They have the Packers, who are, are going to be a very tough team coming into this year. So you definitely see some flashes of some very good teams, but a lot of bad teams um, or semi-bad teams that they could take advantage of. They have the, they have the uh, Falcons after that, and then the, uh, they have a string of two um, – Two in-division games uh, where it's the Saints the following week. Redskins, who are going to be a team that they could steamroll over as long as everyone stays healthy, like I mentioned before. All this is based off if everyone is 100% healthy. Um, and then they have the Falcons after that. Um, week 14 is the Seahawks. 15 is the Colts. And then 16, they finish off with the Saints. So I see a lot of games here that they could win, um, but they do have some tough matchups, as all NFL teams will see. How many games potentially do you see these guys winning? I think they're going to have eight or nine. Eight or nine. Similar to very, very close to the Saints, Falcons. I mean, I wouldn't even be surprised if they they won seven games, like they went seven and nine or something like that because, again, yeah. like I mentioned before, the Buccaneers week two aren't going to be the same team um, come week come week five against when they versed the Buccaneers again um, on the 13th of October. And then after that, they have a couple teams that, you know, if they, even if other teams stay healthy, like the 49ers and Jimmy Garoppolo plays the way he did when he first um, was ta was taking the starting role in, uh, in San Francisco, maybe that's going to be a tough team for them defensively. The Packers, you have Aaron Rodgers and their defense that they've just re-upped. And there's a lot of tough games for them. I think it's going to be very close. I feel like if they're going to win seven games and lose nine, I think the only reason they lose those nine games is because they lose by three points or maybe even just a couple points. Yeah, I could see that. All right, so we'll move on to the last team on the docket today, and it's a very interesting team to look at, and that's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I mentioned it many times just going over this division overall is that Bruce Arians could be a giant factor as to how Jameis Winston performs this year. I think he's going to have a pretty phenomenal year. Again, we've seen Jameis Winston at his best, and we've seen him at his worst. We've seen the suspensions, and we've seen – you know, bad pregame, you know, speeches. And we've seen everything this guy has done so far. And he was a phenomenal talent in college with Florida State. And coming into this year, he finally has a coach that actually individually picked him out to be the reason why he came over to Tampa Bay. And I think Bruce Arians sees Jameis Winston. He's like, that's a guy I could definitely help um, excel his game. And it's a prove-it year for him. He needs a contract. Um, he's running out. He's he, his time's almost up with his rookie contract, so he's looking to get a massive extension with the team. What do you think? How do you think Jameis Winston will perform this year under Bruce Arians as opposed to years prior? 
I mean, just watching watching Jameis Winston, I, I feel like he wasn't very successful. He was not what the Buccaneers really wanted out of him. Um, and it shows a lot from last year where it was back and forth between him and Fitzpatrick. There was a new starter every week, or they kept putting, even in, within games, they would pull one of them out and put the other one in. They really just were a mess and didn't really know what to do. And, you know, when, when you're constantly going through that, you can't really get into a rhythm. You can't really find yourself and work with that with your teammates. So I feel like by if he is the, the starter and they're going to work with him and that's who they're sticking with for the season, I think he can definitely have a better season statistics-wise because he's going to be able to, you know, work through the kinks. He's going to have that time to adjust and get used to his teammates and get used to playing the game because he's actually going to be playing. He's not going to be unsure if whether he's starting, he's not starting, he's going to get put in in the middle of the game. He's not going to have to really be worrying about that. I think we see a big year out of Jameis Winston. Um, I, I, and by, by that, I mean, I don't know if he's going to accumulate a lot of wins because like we mentioned before, all the other three teams have a pretty tough schedule ahead of them. So those guys are going to be at the top of their game. Jameis Winston is still going to be adjusting. He lost his job basically to Ryan Fitzpatrick last year, and he was performing well those first four weeks. He was throwing 400-yard games, and you know Jameis Winston was in and out of the um, – in and out of the game a lot to put in put back in uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick so maybe with him out of the picture maybe this lets him have the spotlight and see how he'll perform coming into this year but I definitely think we're going to see some solid performances out of him and glimpses as to why he deserves a contract um, but we'll have to see when the season comes but jumping into their running back situation they have Peyton Barber and Ronald Jones Ronald Jones was a, a draft pick that they had last year they thought was going to be um, a great asset for him coming into la- uh, last year but it turns out he didn't even suit up a lot of games because their guy moving forward is going to be Peyton Barber. Do you think now they expect a big um, offensive presence from Peyton Barber and Ronald Jones to be the one-two punch, or do you think Peyton Barber has pretty much won the backfield and is going to you know, show the show the Buccaneers that I could be your number one guy if you need me to? Because I think Peyton Barber is a, is a great talent. Um, we just haven't seen enough of Ronald Jones to show me that he deserves to be in this backfield also. Yeah, I mean, the... the... The one thing, like, as I mentioned before with Dirk Cutter in this offense, they don't have a lot to really work with. And, I mean, Peyton Barber is not a bad running back. He's not a great running back. He's, he, he does what he has to do. But I feel like he has not proven enough that he is the number one go-to guy. He can do it all in any situation. So I feel like why not try somebody else out? I'm not saying in place of him. I'm just saying why not do, like, a one-two punch or a split backfield, see how it goes. You don't really have an established – starter in terms of you know how some of these other teams like you know you have an Ezekiel Elliott, a Saquon Barkley, uh, David Johnson where these guys have established the backfield and that's who is going to play regardless you don't have that with this situation so why not see what you have I mean there's a new head coach see what, what he likes and you should be able to make the decision and you're definitely going to see who Jameis Winston plays with better by having Ronald Jones and Peyton Barber out there but as of right now Peyton Barber has that backfield and until Ronald Jones proves otherwise um, I think they're going to try to do a dual uh, dual threat backfield with these two guys and then see who comes out on top. But they're definitely looking for a big year out of Ronald Jones to show that he isn't a bust. Again, I haven't seen enough of him to even even say if he's worth it. We're going to have to see this year. But going into their wide receiving core, I expect a big year out of guys like Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and a guy like Mike Evans who was under the radar a lot last year. And I know he's a phenomenal wide receiver talent. And um, he's he's very much up there in wide receiver talent in the league. Um, but he was very, you know, he wasn't mentioned a lot last year, and he had a great, great year. No one ever mentions that. And I think Chris Godwin, he performed well with 
uh, Brian Fitzpatrick. And as soon as Jameis Winston came into the game, whenever they were switching out, he didn't really look to him. I think uh, Jameis Winston performs very well with Mike Evans. Do you think now that Chris Godwin's in the game and, you know, Jameis Winston is going to have the, the quarterback position all to himself, do you think Bruce Arians finds a way to spread the ball out between these two guys instead of constantly feeding the ball to Mike Evans over and over? Yeah, I feel like they, 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 he needs to. I mean, another guy that we're probably going to get to next uh, that I feel like also is going to have a huge impact with them is, is O.J. Howard. O.J. Howard, and, yeah. And I feel like these guys, they have talent. They might not be superstars. They might not be elite by other, what other people think, but they have talent. and they're, they're good enough to do what they have to do. They, Mike Evans is, I'd say Mike Evans is better than good. I'd say he, he could be up there in terms of like a top 10 receiver he's he's a solid receiver he's if he's out there he's a big guy people are gonna notice him um you know oj howard is another guy i haven't really gotten to prove himself too much yet and i feel like if james is getting into this new role you can look at it almost as like a new quarterback when you have a new quarterback their best friend is their tight end so i feel like those two guys are going to play a very 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 big role in uh in the offense and then I mean, what, Chris Godwin, is he, is he like a speed guy? He's more of a speed guy, but he's a very big red zone target. Like, you can look to him that, in the red zone. That's what I was going to say, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, so he, he's like, I mean, Mike Evans is a big red zone guy, too. He's a big guy, but but he's not as quick. So I feel like that, that brings a whole different level to that offense, which, which could be good. That could spread the offense out. Yeah, definitely, and like like you mentioned, OJ Howard, I think he's the mat. He's a big X factor for the Bucks coming into this year offensively. Um, again, he was their first round draft choice when you know guys like Evan Ingram were coming into the league, and he's supposed to have a big year as well. And when those two guys were first drafted in that same first round, I thought the Giants were going to take OJ Howard because he was even touted to be even more talented than OJ Howard. Um, he OJ Howard was supposed to be the first tight end even taken off the board for whoever was going to be taking uh, a tight end at the moment. And, you know, now he's here and he has, you know, guys like Bruce Arians and Jameis Winston, who if that dynamic works together, I think they're going to utilize OJ Howard a lot, especially in the red zone. Um, I think OJ Howard is a phenomenal talent. I feel like we haven't seen all of what he's got yet. And I think this year will be the year um, we see OJ Howard put up a large amount of numbers and a, a great performance that'll show that he can be Jameis Winston's best friend out out there um, when looking to throw the ball to someone. I think he'll be utilized a lot there. I, I believe so too, and I feel like with him being utilized, that's going to really help their success. I feel like if they can't really get him going too much, it's going to it can hinder some of that success that they have the opportunity to have. Yeah, and I, you definitely don't want to put this guy to waste. Um, again, he's a great, great talent, and I definitely think that if you if you just give the ball to him, he'll show you what he's got. And then I feel like with Ryan Fitzpatrick in there, he was utilizing guys like Chris Godwin. And now whenever Jameis Winston was in the game, he, I feel like he liked to utilize O.J. Howard. I feel like he likes his tight ends. And um, if, if they're both solidified in that position, you know, again, he had to fight to – try to get that starting spot over Cameron Braid. Cameron Braid is a really good tight end as, as well. So if we expect to use him uh, this year, again, they run a three-wide receiver, one tight end set, and O.J. Howard is the one tight end there. I feel like we could see a lot out of him. Um, my Here's my main cause of concern here for the Buccaneers. You look at their um, depth chart defensively, a lot, of question, a lot of questionables, a lot of outs, a lot of injured reserves, a lot of suspensions. Um, just a lot of red letters everywhere you could see it. Um, they replaced Gerald McCoy with Ndamukong Sue. They even give him his old number just to show him that uh, we weren't afraid to get rid of you. 
and replacing Gerald McCoy with Ndamukong Sue, do you think it's replacing one with the other, or it's kind of like nothing happened? Do you think that's a big drop from where they were, or was it an improvement? What do you think of that move? I, I think that was a drop-off. If you go back maybe like four or so years, I feel like that would have been a good, like a pretty big improvement because Sue was really proving himself. But I feel like once he left the Lions, like at the end of his Lions career, and from that point on, he really hasn't done much. He hasn't been able to, to find his rhythm. And I don't know if it's just with the Lions, he really fit with the scheme, and then he left and went to L.A., and he just wasn't the same, and it just wasn't the same scheme. He just couldn't get it going. Or uh, or if he's just deteriorating, he's not being able to play to the level he was before, I'm not sure. I know he's getting up there in age for uh, defensive tackle, but I just I, I think Gerald McCoy is just overall, I think he was a better guy. I don't, I don't know if Sue's going to do. I think he's a little bit of a downgrade. Yeah, I think the same. We have Vita Vea, who was their first-round draft choice last year at nose tackle. He's questionable right now because of his injury last year. Jason Pierre-Paul is probably not going to play this entire season due to his neck injury from the car crash um, at linebacker. They, but they do bring in Devin White, who was their fifth overall pick in the draft. What do you think of him, and how do you expect him to make an impact on this defense? Yeah, I expect him to light up this defense. I mean, they got rid of Quan Alexander. I pretty much feel like he's the replacement. He's going to go in there, and they get to – kind of put him in and, and morph him into what they want, and they're going to make him be like the new Quan Alexander on that defense. Uh, I feel like he could be one of the leaders of that defense. Even though he's a rookie, I feel like he's really going to be a difference maker on that defense. I feel like he's the type of guy who, as soon as his rookie contract's up, he's going to set a giant market for linebackers in the league. I feel like he's that type of player. I feel like he's going to have that type of impact, and that's exactly what the Buccaneers need. Um, at, in, at it, right inside linebacker, they also have Levante David, who's a pretty solid player. Um, we, they, have, yeah. they have Carl Nassib at linebacker as well. He's kind of been thrown around the league ever since um, the hard knock season the Browns had after coming off 0-16. I think just seeing him on hard knocks and seeing his personality and he's a he has a he's tough, he has grit, I feel like he can have a place in this league and I feel like him taking the place of Jason Pierre-Paul isn't a bad thing at all. I think seeing him develop and having that opportunity to perform will be solid for him. Um, they have Noah Spence at um, linebacker as well. Um and they have, you know, Jordan, uh, Jordan Whitehead at free safety and then Vernon Hargraves at cornerback. And, you know, a lot of people here are hurt. A lot of places here where guys who are healthy that are filling in those spots have the opportunity to perform this year. Um, I think we're going to see a lot of changes after this year. Again, Sue is only on a one-year deal. And we still have to see something from out of Vita Vea after being injured. Jason Pierre-Paul, who knows if he comes back after that. He can retire at any moment he wants. Um, but it's going to be Devin White's defensive unit moving forward, and I think they're going to try to build around him defensively because as of right now, their offense has a lot of names on there that they can utilize for a while now. So if they're going to make some moves, I think defensively would be their best choice. Yeah, I think, uh, I think that's really where they need to – start moving forward because they're going to be losing a lot of guys as you mentioned and really like the two main guys are what uh their first round pick this year and then uh, a year or two ago they had Bart Reeves who they drafted and those are like the, the main young guys on that defense and then either there. yeah definitely so we'll go into looking their schedule look at their schedule and then we'll wrap it up here but they start off with the 49ers week one which I think they could take advantage of I'm not high on the 49ers coming into this year Division game in the Panthers week two, Giants week three. Who we're not sure how they're going to perform, but they're going to have just as the just the same amount of wins as the Bucks will have this year. Which I already think, looking at the schedule, will be like five or six. And then you have the Rams week four, tough game. Then you have the Saints 
uh, week five. Panthers again week six. So again, four, five, and six, those weeks are going to be pretty tough for them. And then they jump into the Titans uh, week seven, uh, Seahawks week eight, back to, uh, Cardinals week nine, Buccaneers uh, go up against the Saints week 10, Falcons 11, Jaguars 12, Colts 13, uh, Lions 14, 15 for fifteen four them they go up against the Texans and then they end off with the Falcons. So a lot of games here I see them losing more than anything. I am I maximum I see these guys winning five to six games and I think give them another year and I think Arians will get it together and know exactly who to use. How many wins do you think these guys will get? Yeah, I think the same about what you said, six maybe. Six on a good day. Like I yeah, think I think five is the maximum. Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, you know, they they can, they have potential. They can really turn the, the team around with bringing on Bruce Arians. But I feel like this off season, it's not enough to do it yet to really make that dramatic jump. Yeah, definitely not the year to make the jump. Again, it's a very very tough division. We went over each and every team, and I think the Bucks have potential here. And if they can take the next step going into next year, I definitely think the door is wide open for any team in the division because who knows Drew Brees' future, who knows if Cam Newton um, gets healthy because he has been dealing with injuries for a very long time now due to their offensive line being bad. They have the And then who else am I missing here? We have the Falcons who are still looking for their place in the league after losing that Super Bowl, and it's kind of been lingering on them. So if the Buccaneers take that next step and they're able to perform at a high level that – all the other teams in this division do under Bruce Arians. And again, he's a big name for them. I mentioned him over and over because he's such a great coach. Then it's going to be wide open for them. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this division within the last couple of years has been very close and I don't see it changing anytime soon. I feel like the teams that haven't been performing as well are, are building and growing and, and, you know, really upgrading in positions that they need to. And then the teams that are performing well or, going to stay at that if not get any better and it's just there's a lot of talent going around in this division and that makes for exciting football because a very tough division I see coming into this year as well other than this one is a division like the NFC North for example like you have the Lions going to come up now who are having a pretty solid defensive unit and then you have the Bears who are coming into this year as the number one defense and you know the Packers have made some moves on their defense in order to compensate um, for Aaron Rodgers to perform at a high level and and who am I missing there? Vikings. Yeah, I don't know how I can forget yeah, them. Vikings, yeah, yeah, they're a great year. They're a great team each and every year, and they're they're a top team in that in this division moving forward in that division moving forward as well. So I see a definitely definitely a comparison between um, the NFC South and the NFC North. Um, if anything, uh, what do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, I think. Uh, I think it's very interesting with that division too, because with the uh, NFC North, you know, you got some some new guys, and then like in terms of like elite players, you also have in certain positions. So I feel like it's it's a good mix. Like you have some of the the older quarterbacks in that division, you have some of the newer quarterbacks. It's just it's a tough clash, I feel like, and and it's really anybody's game because as you mentioned with the NFC North, like you know, you got you got Kirk Cousins, who it's kind of you got to see what happens with him. Aaron Rodgers is nearing I'd say the end of his career soon same thing with Matthew Stafford so I feel like those teams that are like like the Lions I feel like and the Green Bay Packers have uh more so the Green Bay Packers have been kind of near the top of that division 
And I feel like that can all change with those two guys just retiring. Yeah, definitely. And that's the same thing that could happen for this division. Um, but we'll have to see. Um, anything else you wanted to add about this division? Who do you think comes, uh, most importantly, who comes out on top? Not being biased, of course, with the Falcons. But who do you think uh, makes a wild card run? Who is at the top of this division? Who takes this? Yeah, I, I think the Saints are going to take it. And I feel like if the Saints take it with 11 wins, I feel like the only way that the next team up, which I predict is going to be the Falcons, the only way I see them making a wild card run is they have to get 10 wins. The NFC has been very tough to get in, and I and I think even last year, the the teams with ten wins, like the the two wild cards had ten wins. So I feel like it's it's getting harder and harder each year, and you really need to capitalize on those division games. And uh, if you don't, it can ruin your whole season. So definitely a very exciting division moving forward, and I'm so excited to see this division perform coming into this year. Any last thing you wanted to add before we close this thing out? Uh, no, that is all from me. All right. So I appreciate everyone for listening to the podcast. Um, More previews coming out soon. I just posted um, an AFC South preview. um, So make sure to go check that episode out as well. Uh, Make sure to follow our Instagram and Twitter at Franchise Tag Pod. Uh, Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel at Franchise Tag Sports uh, Podcast. And not sure if I'm missing anything there. I think that should be it. Um, But coming into this year, me and Chris should be in the same room once again. And we'll also be uh, posting more videos as time goes on. So I'm very excited for this season coming up. Um, It's almost here. I'm ready to stop watching preseason football. That ends this week. Um, Last thing, though. Daniel Jones starts tonight. I put money down on the Giants to win. Uh, What what do you think? Were they playing tonight? They're playing the Patriots. That's what I thought. Ooh, um, Daniel Jones has has the floor. He's starting. Hey, they're not playing Eli that's, tonight. That's interesting. Are the uh, are the Patriots playing any of their starters or not? Stidham and Hoyer. They haven't. I, they're. I don't know if they're going to play any starters. I just know they haven't thrown Tom Brady out there. Huh. Obviously, but I, I think there's a good chance. Then I think there's a good chance the Giants can uh, capitalize because he's been having a great preseason. So if he keeps up what he's been doing. They're going to be scoring. They're going to be getting some points on the board. So I, I don't see why not. But that honestly, that's the last. If I'm going to finish the preseason, that's I'm so glad I get to see uh, those two teams perform and Daniel Jones because I'm not going to see him coming into this season. But other than that, we'll wrap it up here. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next time.